Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, let's dive into today's episode, which is about, yep, tax planning. Let's bifurcate something very quickly here. Most of us as business creators have accountants. We work with somebody to help us with our taxes and our legal responsibilities to the IRS or if you're outside the United States, whatever your tax bureau is. Uh, Some of us have bookkeepers, some of us have CPAs. Not all of us, however, do what's known as tax planning. It's one thing to make sure your taxes are paid, that you comply with all federal or national or state or provincial or local or regional obligations, get it on time, get the right amounts in. It's another level to actually anticipate what your taxes would be and develop a cash flow plan around that so that you can maximize the benefits that are available to you through your respective tax code. For example, the IRS can help you get wealthy. I know that's kind of interesting because we think the IRS is out there to take our money. Uh, But there's a way the IRS can help you get wealthy. And we're actually going to cover that today when we speak with Dusty Rollins. And let me just tell you a little bit about Dusty. He specializes in income planning and tax saving strategies for business owners, as well as college planning, social security maximization investments, and debt interest cost reduction. As the owner and founder of Oxford Wealth Strategies, Dusty's goal is to help his clients design an income plan to make their money last as long as they do, as well as leave a legacy for the future generations. From his boarding school days in Penang, Malaysia, to his graduate studies in Oxford, England, traveling around the world has given him a global perspective on finances and life. Today, Dusty lives in Deland, Florida with his wife, where they are happy to be raising their three young children. Sounds like fun. Dusty Rollins, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> thank you, Adam. I am thrilled to be here, brother, and thanks for having me. Let's, uh, let's rock this thing. All right. Before we rock this thing, in fact, let's do some preliminary rocking of this thing by doing one small thing. Uh, many of our listeners at this point have a separate browser tab open. They're leaning in. They're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, discovering more about this Dusty Rollins and uh, whose website is DustyRollins.com, by the way, and this whole thing about how he helps with strategic tax planning down there in the land, Florida, and elsewhere. So what we'd like to do is we read off your official bio. It tells us a bit about a uh, little bit about your travels around the world, but let's go one step deeper to help people truly understand who you are and tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving you, <clears throat> serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and making a difference for your community market and audience man adam you talking about my brilliance i need you to i need my wife to hear this one um so i uh you know i grew up in a boarding school in malaysia and so i had a very unique 
uh, outlook on, on life, a very unique experience. This was before the internet days, if anyone can remember the, that. I and, <laughs> Barely. You know, exactly, barely. So I, I graduated college without an email address. So that kind of pegs me, you know, right in that in-between stage. But I, uh, so I went to, you know, I did the dutiful thing. I went to college and I, I went to some good, I had some good training there, some pretty high level stuff. Sure. And when I got out, I found out that even though I had good, uh, a good education, I was thoroughly unemployable. And so, you know, uh -huh. you've gone, you, you've gone through edu you know, all this education, you've paid all this money and now I can't even get a job with it or a job I want uh, or a job I could keep. So that kind of, I went by default, not by intention into business. Now I'm thrilled to death because, you know, as you know, Adam, those early days of business, it's like I have a buddy that's a Marine and he talks about, you know, boot camp for the U.S. Marine Corps. He's like, it's, it's an experience you would never do again and you wouldn't trade it for the world. And so that kind of tension there between, you know, if I had to start a business again right now, I, you know, I don't know if, if knowing what I know, I don't know if I would, but also I'm thrilled to death to have it. And so I, you know, as I got into business, I was doing at that time some real estate and construction things in Atlanta, Georgia. And, you know, it was back in the go-go days of the real estate market where everybody, everybody and every idiot could make money in the real estate market. And this idiot did until we didn't anymore. You know, the, the proverbial music stopped. But while early on, even before the market crash that had to, you know, that changed my business model, I at the beginning, you know, the first few years of business, usually you don't have a big tax issue because you're not making any money. Then right. if you're fortunate, you make a little bit of, you get a little bit of money going and the taxes pop up. So that first year when I went to my accountant at the time, because I was not in this business and, you know, and I said, he said, you made this and you owe this. And I said, no, 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 no. You, you mixed my file up with somebody or, okay, is, is this a negotiation? You know, let's, let's make a different offer. This can't, I can't make that and pay this. It, it was a way too big of a percentage in my view. So that began a self process, a, a self study process of figuring out how to really tame the tax monster. And, you know, because I started realizing that for business owners, it's our biggest expense, even if you're only mildly successful, not greatly successful, just mildly successful in the United States, taxes will be your single biggest expense. And yet most business owners default it, like you were saying, Adam, they kind of let their CPA, and I'm using air quotes here, if you can visualize, you know, old yeah. school air quotes, they let their CPA handle it. and that is just a costly mistake because they're defaulting their number one lifetime expense and they're going to cost themselves, their family, their legacy, a lot of money. So one of the differences as I set out to get into the tax planning business, one of the differences that I did and do bring to the table is I'm what I call a front of the check advisor. So when you look at these, I, I deal with a lot of business owners as you, as you do, Adam, and you know, they're unique individuals. They're all different. They're all a little quirky. You know, it's like herding cats. Um, yeah. They're all, they're all, no offense because I'm talking to uh, about us, but they're all a little weird. So, <laughs> you know, th this, this, th they're all different kinds of, of business owners. But the thing, one of the things that draws us together when you have signed the front of a check, 
when you have taken the risk, when you've risked your family, your, your own financial security, your family's financial security, in order to borrow, many times to borrow money, to pay an employee, hence signing the front of a check, th- something changes in your gut, something shifts, and you have a different experience of life. And so I find a lot of these business owners are surrounded by advisors who have only ever signed the back of a check. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just there is a different level I believe, and I call that the front of the check level. You know, you bring up something interesting about signing the front of the check and signing the back of the check. And this, I think, in a way speaks to, to this day, how there's a certain level of misunderstanding about how tax planning works and how entrepreneurial tax strategies work. Uh, even about five years ago, there was a brief period of time where I was considering buying a house. I didn't go through with it, and I'm glad I didn't, but I was thinking about it. And yep. I spoke with a couple realtors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What I kept hearing over and over again is how I would need to produce these things called pay stubs. Okay, I've, I've, uh, <laughs> I've, I've been an entrepreneur for seven years now. Uh, I've been doing it full-time for... Uh, no, 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 no. 17 years, rather. Boy, time is flying. <laughs> you you 14, lost a decade, but. <laughs> yeah, 14 and a half years, give or take, that my own ventures have been the source of my income. And yep. I've never had a pay stub. Uh, I've had the, the case where the primary reason that my business has checks is because I write the check, I fill it out on the front, and I sign it on the front. Then I flip it over and sign it on the back. So many Bingo. of us as business creators sign at least our paychecks on both sides. So there's there, there's that little understanding. And every time I switch banks or I start frequenting a different branch of the bank that I use or what have you uh, for, my, for my personal stuff and where you know, I'm depositing my business checks, there's two things I have to go over with them. If I bring them more than one check, which is sometimes the case, right. uh, each one has to be done as a separate deposit, no matter how annoying that is to them. So if there's a clear correlation between the money moving from the business to the personal. And then I have to explain to them, yes, I have the authority to sign both sides. We're starting to see in our society and in business transactions where this stuff is starting to be seen as something that is either normal or something we really don't need to question. But I can tell you that when I started out, boy, oh boy, what I had to do to explain to people these basic things. Um, uh, Didn't buy a house, rented an apartment though. And I went to a few places and uh, they started with this pay stub business again. Like what? It's a pay stub. Jeez, God. Uh, Part of the reason I live where I live now is because when I went to the management office to do my tour and uh, I, and she used that phrase pay stubs again, I said, uh, I don't have pay stubs. Uh, I, I uh, draw paychecks and distributions from an entity that I own. She said, yep. So does my boyfriend. I get it perfectly. So if you just get me some scans of checks, which anybody can get by going into their online banking and clicking print. Right. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I think even though it's really tangential to what we're going to be discussing today, it illustrates just through a funny story how there are so many misunderstandings about what it is we're actually going to be discussing today. Well, and if I may, Adam, that I, I love that. And and it brings up, you know, people ask, well, what's the drawback, Dusty, to what you do? You know, we do tax planning and that 
tax planning leads to saving you money, right? Puts cash yeah. in your tax cash, we call it, in your pocket. And so, but I tell them, here's one of the drawbacks is, you know, if you're a business owner and you're trying to get more debt, i.e. a house or business credit, whatever it is, then we're going to, if we're lowering your income, that's going to hurt you know, the, the, the way you qualify. So, but, but again, I, you know, I was working with the business owner. We were saving him in excess of a hundred thousand dollars in taxes per year. And his CFO was complaining that he couldn't, it, it was going to hurt his qualifying for these loans. So I said, well, what loans do you have coming up? And then the business owner interrupted the, and, and told the CEO, CFO very unpleasantly, I couldn't use the same words, told him where to go and uh, told him to shut up basically because he's like, I've got all these other lines of credit. I don't, don't need lines of credit, but I need another hundred grand back in my pocket. But right. so, so that is the, if you, if you have a drawback, it's not being audited. We can talk a little bit about that because you're not increasing your risk and there's a low risk anyway. And if you do it right, who cares if you're audited? The bigger risk is, if you are a person addicted to continuous debt and addicted to needing to qualify to those banks, like you said, then this is going to hurt that because we're going to cut your taxable income or your just a gross income either or both way down. So that is one drawback is if you use my strategies, we're going to put more cash in your pocket, but you're, you might qualify for less of a mortgage or a loan. Well, you know, that, I mean, I understand that too. And I also know, uh, especially what's happened in the past 10 years, when I first started out in entrepreneurship, and remember, I've always worked out of a home office wherever I've lived, I would have banking representatives show up at my home unannounced with pre-complete, <laughs> with pre-completed small business loan paperwork. All I right. had to do was tell them the number. It's, I, I actually found a lot of it so spurious, I sent them on their merry way. Uh, then, uh, around 2007, I took out a five-year debt consolidation loan, paid that sucker off. And so, I thought, and so I thought, well, during the Great Recession, which happened subsequently, I ran up another cycle of debt. Let's do, let's do another loan and wipe that out. You would, have thought, you would have thought that I was literally asking them to commit murder and soliciting a bribe. <laughs> because I had the temerity to ask. Um, right. I, I can tell you where I gave up on the process is where I had uh, I had my my loan representative who was actually trying his best to get me a loan. He said he came back to me and he said the underwriters were demanding to know why I had student loans. Now, bear in mind, we're talking about a small business loan. They want to know about my personal student loans, and I and I said, uh, well why don't you go back and explain it to them why somebody would have a student loan? He did. And then he came back to me and they said that they found that uh, they found that my explanation of why I had a student loan was, uh, was uh, completely inappropriate. And if I didn't want to respect the process, they would decline my loan. <laughs> and so I said, tell them this, tell them that I went to college and because I recognized how much textbooks were going to cost, I took out, a, I took out, uh, a student loan so I could finance a meth lab to pay for the textbooks. Because <laughs> that's, that's about how much I cared at that point. Exactly. And, th and, th and, this is, and this is because we had this pendulum swing from one extreme to the other in terms of availability of credit in light of what happened in 2008, and we're still paying for it. So exactly. um, on other episodes of Business Creators Radio, we have had people who have dealt with how to get traditional financing and some of the secrets behind that. Uh, part of it has to do with what 
with more mailing address you put on your application. It was very revelational to me, uh, some of the things they look for. So I can't remember exactly which episode that was, but if I find it, I'll post it and, uh, and uh, people can go back and listen to that. Another thing I say is, you know, think about, think about having a business where your cash flow is so positive that traditional banks are asking you to come in and offering you loans again. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, so the point. So the point being is, yeah, you have to pick your. You have to take your shots here, and you have to pick your battles. Uh, do you want to save on taxes? Do you want to have availability of credit? Uh, there is a balancing act, and that's why people work with you, Dusty, to help them identify that. And since we're about seventeen minutes in here, and I'm really excited to get into some content, I know this is supposed to be the climactic moment, but I just can't wait. Dusty, how can the IRS help us get wealthy? Since the banks aren't <laughs> going to do it, how can the IRS do it? Oh, that uh, um, you want me to dive into that, right? Go! So, <clears throat> a couple ways, um, but let's, let's go back to your pay stub, uh, which was very a very good analogy of your pay stub. So, a pay stub comes from a W-2, which is, you know, I don't know the yep. number. I think it's 80, you know, 80 or 90% of all working Americans get a W-2. It's, it's a very high number. Yeah, I get one. Yeah, because as an employee of my entity, I get a W-2, and I have to sure. draw a W-2 and a W-3. Right, and, and most business owners get some form of a W-2. Yeah. But if your only income, if you're not a business owner and your only income is from a W-2, then so so let me uh, let me step back. I forgot to say this. There's three levels of tax planning. Now these aren't official with the IRS. These are my levels. Level one is W two. You're an employee. You don't have any business. You don't own any business. You're only an employee. And the bottom, the tax planning strategies for level one is you're screwed. Right. There is nothing. Um, and the Trump tax cuts, which were very strong and positive for business, may, actually took a couple away. So if you are solely a W-2 income earner, so even a, a, um, some of our clients are doctors, they'll make half a million dollars on a W-2, they have very, very limited options for tax planning. So people always tell me, you know, or ask me rather, well, what do I do? I said, well, start a business, you know, uh, even if it's on the side or a side hustle or, you know, like, because the IRS punishes you if you don't have a business. So level two is that business owner. And that, <clears throat> pardon me, that level has to do with deductions, which I'm sure you're uh, uh, taking advantage of, uh, Adam, is, you know, that's where you write your mileage off. You buy a computer for business, you write that off. You write your cell phones off. You know, all of the things you're using, the business expenses, you are deducting from your income so you, you don't pay uh, income tax on those, on that income. Right. And so, so level two is that business owner level of deductions and write-offs. And that's very important. We play in that area very much, and, and it's shocking to to us, to our team, um, how often CPAs, uh, even long-term CPAs, just kind of, they get into a rut with your taxes and they just don't find these areas. So we, a couple weeks ago, we started working with a new client. He had been with the CPA for 18 years and then that CPA retired. And so the, uh, um, he started working with us and we immediately found <clears throat> where the other CPA had put his rental real estate on the wrong schedule 
not to get into the weeds, but he just put, right. so he just filled in the wrong form. And it was, it's nothing illegal or anything. He just did the wrong form, but it cost my client $1,187 in extra taxes that year. So we filed an amendment. Yeah. You know, and, and again, to, to, to a guy paying 300 grand a year, that's nothing, but it's still, it's still cash taken out of your pocket just because your your long-term CPA put it on the wrong form. So, um, but level two is that business owner deductions and write-offs. But where, Adam, to bring up our uh, uh, level three is where it gets exciting. And this is where I say, in essence, now I don't think the IRS fully intends to be this, but in essence, they become a wealth building partner for the smart-minded business owner. And may I dare say the smart-minded business owner who has a good advisor. Um, and, and this is what I mean. So on level one and two, as an employee, definitely, and as a business owner, the, the IRS is kind of an adversary. You know, it's like, so it's a necessary evil, even though politicians continually tell us it's a voluntary system. It's, it's you know, it's voluntary until you decide not to do it. And then you, uh, it becomes involuntary. Uh-huh, so yeah. You, you know, it's like only on days that end in Y um, do you have to pay taxes. So the, the, the level one and two. Level three, the IRS be- becomes a partner. Now, for all of you libertarian, li- all of your libertarian listeners, out, Adam, they just got uh, uh, sh- shivers went up their spine when I said IRS partner, you know. <clears throat> and this is a yeah. partnership where it's not a, a real partnership. It's a partnership where you sleep with one eye open. So we don't fully trust our partner. But here's what I mean. The, the government, the, IRA, the uh, Congress, and then the IRS is their vehicle. They write the tax codes to drive behavior that they want to happen. So predominantly back or, or, or uh, p- publicly well-known was back when Obama, President Obama became president in, I guess it was 09 when he was inaugurated. And we were coming out of all of those, um, you know, bad economic, one of the worst economic times in memory. And all of a sudden the government started giving tax breaks to, you know, remember that cash for clunkers, caulking, you know, if you caulk your windows, you get a tax break. If you, um, uh, if you buy electric cars, still now there are certain tax breaks. Breaks and and Elon Musk could not have built what he built without heavy government subsidy through tax breaks and tax credits. Yeah. So <clears throat> the government uses the tax code to drive behaviors they want, and most famously in the area of real estate, you know the government does not like to be in the real estate business, so they give massive tax breaks and credits for real estate. And so I know some high level guys that will go build, you know, 20 and $30 million mixed use developments. And as long as they have the appropriate amount of low income housing and then, and then normal market rent housing, and then even some usually, you know, some like the space on the bottom floor is, is commercial. They can get massive tax credits for that, those projects to the tune where sometimes the, a, a huge percentage of the profit comes out of those tax credits. And not only that, but there's now actually, there's a market for the tax credits. So if that particular developer doesn't need them for his, for the, for the taxes of that development or his personal taxes, he can actually sell those tax credits to someone else to use, um, usually at a slight discount. So level three, I got on a rabbit trail. I warned you before. No, Adam, no, that it's, I get all, I, it's all good stuff, man. 
Good. Thank you. Thank you. So my wife, you know, my wife's not here to whack me <laughs> back on track. So, so level three, I call this is the elite level. This is the Navy SEALs level where the business owner starts to shift their mind. Again, we don't like and trust the IRS, but what we're doing is when what the IRS wants to give tax breaks on lines up with what you're wanting to build wealth in anyway, then we need to align that as perfectly as possible. And that's how they're actually going to help you build wealth. So there's a couple huge areas where I mean, one is the, the aforementioned real estate. Um, the, the government loves uh, business owners and, and, and investors to buy real estate to help. It, it helps the economy. It helps lower income, uh, provide housing for all levels, but particularly lower income. It, it, it's a real engine. It's a real growth engine. So they heavily, they give great tax breaks. I mean, you know, if you look at even just a simple rental real estate, piece of real estate, you can actually make money on the real estate and through things like depreciation, which is a whole nother uh, quite boring, but very lucrative discussion through depreciation. You can actually show a loss on your tax returns, even though you're actually making money on the rental property. So, um, there are huge ways also, uh, as many of your listeners will have heard of, might not know fully the details of, the, of exchanges. So you can build up real estate and then when you go sell it, it if you sell it for a like kind, you can exchange it and keep, de uh, keep deferring that tax in essence for um, uh, multi-generations. So that's how you can build wealth without the government or, or with the government's blessing in essence. A second area, and this might, um, and I, I do want to land the plane on this one for this, for this section, yeah. is um, on you, with you, Adam, because you work with a lot of teams and a lot of business owners that develop teams. And one of the things that's interesting, when I start working with the business owner who has employees, which is, is a lot, but let's even say has, you know, 10 plus employees. Well, there are some structures that were set up well over 50 years ago. They're Congress approved and they're loved by both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. Um, and they're loosely under the category of ESOPs, E-S-O-P, Employee Stock Ownership Plans. And it's a, it's, a, it's a big area that most CPAs don't play in. It's usually the domain of tax attorneys and, and advisors like myself. But it's an area that can really, what, what the business owners that I have set up with these structures, what's interesting is it, it's a way that that employee is actually able to help them save taxes. They're actually able to give a benefit to the employee, which is what the government wants as well. You're giving an extra benefit, but the benefit's coming from the tax savings uh, that you would have paid to the government. And then what's happening is it helps with, with employee recovery tension and recruitment and and morale it helps keep the employees there a little longer because it's an extra benefit that they don't want to walk away from as quickly and here's what's so powerful about this adam is it allows the business owner to build capital that can expand their business or buy other businesses other competitors other you know massive expansion in a very tax efficient way so if you just take cash out of your business and go buy another business that in and of itself is not deductible immediately, right? So, and, and again, I don't want to get in the weeds. It's just a matter of yeah. buying that asset in and of itself is not generally deductible. Now, if you buy, again, back to a rental house, you buy a rental house, you don't get to deduct the whole purchase of that rental house year one. You have to depreciate it over a yeah. number of years. Well, these ESOPs, 
stops. One of the reasons they were created was in order for business owners to help create capital on a pre-tax basis and ultimately really a tax-free basis in order to expand their business. And so all of a sudden, if you're a business owner and you're paying, you know, if you're in California, you could be paying upwards of 50% on your higher earning dollars uh, or more. But let's just say you're paying 50% on that. If you can find a strategy that allows you to invest money pre-tax, and expand your business, buy your competitors out, well, all of a sudden, you are 50% ahead of the game because of the strategy. Did that make any sense at all? Made dollars and cents, literally. Uh, Boom, I love it. Just one point of clarification of ESOPs, uh, the word employee. Does this mean that it applies only to people you have in your organization who are your own W-2 employees? It, it's a broad term, but loosely, it, if you're a business owner considering implementing an ESOP, you need to have employees. Okay. And generally speaking, it's about 10. Now, the reason I say that is, for instance, you may have a vendor that you do a lot of business with, and if they meet the federal guidelines, they can be considered an employee, even though they're not a W-2, they can be considered an employee for the purpose of the ESOP. But again, so it, it, if you're a one-man band and that's all you have, um, you know, is no uh, zero employees, then it's hard to implement an ESOP. Um, but, right. but if you see, yeah, so you have to have some employees um, okay, I just, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to be clear on that because another big debate that we have here, and we've covered this in other episodes, is uh, whether somebody is a contractor or an employee or they're actually telling you that you're doing business with their firm, not with them personally. Now, in terms of my work with my clients, I'm very adamant on point number three, which is they're not actually doing business with me. They're doing business with my firm, which in turn delegates me to render the services. So I'm not a sure. 1099. I, I, you know, I don't do 1099. If they ask me for my social security number, I tell them it's none of their damn business and they won't get it. If they want to send me a 1099, I say, if that makes your accountant feel good, that's great. But I'm going to put it right in a shredder because <laughs> the way I view it is very simply is you have engaged the services of my firm, which in turn delegates me and could delegate anybody else. So I don't want to hear the, why did you send somebody else to do it? Because I did. You're paying my firm. Uh, and there are, you know, different states have different regulations on how to determine whether somebody's an employee or whether somebody's a contractor or whether even technically dealing with a human being. Uh, but one of the very common ones, uh, you know, common factors, regardless of which version of the test you're taking is, uh, what level of control do you have over yep. what the person does? So anytime, so what I typically have to do with newer clients is at one point, somewhere usually in the first month, I have to break them into something uh, to get a clear understanding of this is they'll say, okay, um, so uh, what time on Thursday can you have that to me? Can you have it by nine? And I'll say, uh, uh, what, are you paying my health insurance and giving me retirement benefits? Because you, are not, because you are now regulating my behavior, which crosses dangerously into the employee's side. And if you want to pay taxes on me, you want to pay my insurance, you want to pay my retirement benefits, we can continue this conversation. Um, on, well, the other, Adam, we, Adam, on the other hand, what you need to do is uh, you need to understand that you can't tell people to do that, but you can set the expectations of 
what you need. So you can say something like, um, uh, in order for me to get the results from this, I need to receive this from you by Thursday in order for this to work. That's different than telling them how to do because they have to make the decision whether or not they're going to do it for you. Now, naturally, they're going to say yes because they want to work with you. But that's the difference. I, I, you know what, Adam? I, I, I love this about you. You're like me. You're prickly. Because um, yeah. <laughs> my wife, like, like we live in Orlando, and so we go yeah. to the parks all the. You know, we usually uh -huh. have a, uh, we mortgage a house, and then be, we're able to buy Disney tickets. And so, um, I every time we go though, Disney is exceptional. But yeah. you know, we were at SeaWorld. I usually always have these run-ins, and my wife, you know. Uh, it was that old story of the little kid in the car with his mom driving and she, he said, mommy, mommy, why do the idiots only come out when daddy's driving? <laughs> so, <laughs> but if I, if I could segue, so I love that about you. You like, you prick stories and, and love it, but, or, or, and let me throw it, or let me go on top of what you just said. If, if any of your listeners have independent contractors versus employees, and, and it's as prevalent in the construction industry, um, a, an extra layer they need to watch. So you're, uh, you're dead on right about the IRS saying, you know, trying to classify a 1099 versus a W-2 employee, um, you know, and, and they are getting strict on that, and there's clear guidelines on that. But here is another wrinkle in it. If you do business across state lines, it's called Nexus, not Netflix. Uh, Nexus. Uh -huh. And so what that means is say I'm a paint contractor in Florida and I drive, I get my crew in a van and they drive out to California and you know, they start painting a, a Longhorn restaurant out in California. I have to be cognizant of California laws and it's Nexus because I'm actually earning the money in California. Even if let's say Longhorn was out of where I think they're actually out of Florida yeah, um, I think so too. Uh, Darden Restaurant. So yeah. they're a, a Florida company paying me a Florida company, but we're doing the work in California. There can be liabilities, tax liabilities in California. And a lot of times the states now, not to name any, um, but the, the aforementioned California and New York, but I won't name any states, their state revenue departments are considerably onerous. They're, they're worse, in my opinion, than dealing with the IRS. And so you have to watch that. And I always use the example of like LeBron James when he was down here playing for the Miami Heat in Florida. You know, Florida has no state income tax. Um, right. So, but when he went to New, York's, uh, uh, to, to New York to play in Madison Square Garden, he, his accountants had to break out the income he earned basically for playing that game that night, uh, playing the Knicks and break that out and then pay whatever applicable New York state taxes there would be on that. So for your business owners, it's, it's too much of a discussion for today, but they really need to watch that nexus where um, when they're moving in between states, the 1099 versus W-2 can become problematic both legally and definitely on a tax side. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know. Uh, and you mentioned you mentioned earlier, you know, you're going to have some of our libertarian listeners, of which we have several. Uh, you know, you're folks like me, whose favorite amendment is the tenth. Although I love all of them, uh, I mean, uh, but uh, and this is why the work that you do is so important because it helps people understand that while there are liabilities and why some of this stuff is candidly a pain in the ass, 
if you want to change your mind frame and look at it from the perspective of how it's an opportunity for you, you can really make it work for you. Uh, but again, uh, you could have libertarians up in arms over, well, uh, the government uh, regulates behavior through tax law, and when you take advantage of that, you can build wealth. Okay, so if that's the playing field, use it. If you don't like the fact that that is in place, then you look at this document called the Constitution, which explains to you how to change laws, and you do it that way. Right. Yeah, if you don't like it, make it illegal, but while it's legal, do it. And, you know, I, I tell people, Adam, exactly along those lines, I like, I tell them I'm not a tax protester. A tax protester says, you know, we're not required by law, and they have several arguments and, and perhaps even good arguments that – uh, you know, the, the income of tax amendment wasn't um, ratified properly and da-da-da-da-da. But my whole thing is they have what are maybe good arguments, but several of them are making them from jail. So there is clear precedent, even if you think your argument is right, there is precedent swirling in the courts that you have to pay your fair share of taxes. So where I'm at right now is... And again, maybe some of my libertarians are, well, I'll tell you this too. I was in a cigar bar, quick story, about three months ago. And this guy was going on and on about how you're not required to file taxes and, and pulling out all the arguments that he Googled uh, about these tax protesters. And he'd Google read this University. Exactly. Yeah. And so he's going on and on and I'm getting a little perturbed because the implication it's he's taken it to a moral level, almost saying, you know, that I am misleading people by helping them file their taxes or I'm kind of a, uh, I don't know, I, it, it was a little bit of a moral implication. Uh -huh. So then I, I looked him in the eye and said, did you file your taxes last year? He said, oh, yeah. So then, and I probably can't, this is probably not an adults only adult language show. I won't tell you what I actually told him, but it, it, it had a, you know, you can know where it went. I just told uh -huh. you basically, shut up. <laughs> Do not sit there and tell me all this great tax protester stuff. And then you filed your taxes, you know? So my point is in all of that is I don't think we're at a Boston tea party level yet, um, yet. where yeah, exactly. Not yet. And I lean on the libertarian. I have libertarian leanings, Me too. Uh, if, if you will. Yeah, and, and I love the 10th Amendment, you know, yep. back when uh, a few years ago, Texas was was threatening to leave. And I was like, I might have to move to Texas. <laughs> so, um, but my, my point is, I still think right now, let, let me just put it in broad terms. I can get most of my business owners, and I don't care how much they're making, we can get them it, 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 below a 20% effective tax rate. And, and, you know, a lot of them, we can push the 10% side. So at that point, you know, and, and that's part of what I do, Adam, I'm saying, it, you know, what I'm trying to do, I've already admitted it's your number one lifetime expense. So let's figure out, let's not default this to a CPA, just because you, you know, because the guy's a nerd and throws some financial reports in your face. You know, you need to make sure your CPA is fighting for these tax deductions that are legal. And, yeah. and again, in 2015, uh, 2016, uh, anyway, when, when Trump was debating Hillary, there's a famous moment you can, uh, I, I periodically Google it on YouTube, where she is, is, is deriding him because he's not releasing his tax returns. 
And then she said something like, because I bet it'll show he doesn't pay any taxes. And he actually says in Trump fashion, you know, because I'm smart. And so he, you know, he actually got elected to, to the chagrin of half the U.S. population. He did get elected. And so the president of the United States is actually saying it is a smart thing to pay only your fair share. So yeah. back to the back to the tax protester. I'm not quite there yet, uh-huh. um, even though I'm very simpatico on. But but again, and 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 back to level three, that elite level of tax planning, where we quote unquote again these old fashioned air quotes, where we're partnering with the IRS. I want to be very clear. I, you know, I I did preface it with we're sleeping with one eye open. Yeah. We're not saying we're endorsing it. What we're saying though is if the IRS says, hey Adam, if you've got enough employees and you satisfy all these things, you can set up an ESOP. It'll help your employees. It'll take money that you were going to have to pay the IRS and now give it back to your pocket, back into your control. I love that word. And then you can now use it to go um, buy your competitors. We, we set this up with a guy in Colorado. He was an auto repair, uh, uh, auto um, repair shop not repair but the um you know if you get in a wreck he fixes it and paints it and collision center so he used the money from the esop all completely above board and legally in order to but money would have gone to the irs he was able to use that to buy out his competitors consolidate and then the last i'd heard he sold the whole the whole conglomerate and so he did that because he was able to use pre-tax dollars. So that's, again, the long-winded way of saying, you know, I'm not yet a, on, the, on the tax pa- protester bandwagon. I'm happy to go there when we actually have to. But right now, the IRS, Adam, hands you this document that's over 77,000 pages of tax code and case studies and exceptions. And they say, here, Adam, number one, you figure out how much you owe us. And number two, oh yeah, in that buried in there somewhere are a, a whole bunch of strategies that will that we endorse. That mean you don't have to pay us as much, but you've got to go find them. And my complaint is most CPAs they're very good, like you said at the beginning, of compliance. They put numbers in boxes. They help you file your taxes so you stay out of jail. That's an important part. <laughs> um, but they're not sitting back think, thinking. How can I save Adam taxes? You know, what's no. what's this new Trump tax law? What's the new angles? What are the new strategies? And, and I, I compare it to checkers versus chess. I'm not an actual chess player, but a good chess player will beat me in three moves because the second I make a move, they know the next four moves they're making, right? So, but checkers, they're just reacting like, oh, he moved there, so I'll jump him. And then, oh, he moved there, I'll just jump him. They're just one move at a time. They're just, that, that's the guy at the end of the year who says, Adam, what did you buy? What did you spend? You know, oh, here's how much you owe. Well, if you don't have an ongoing tax strategy throughout the year, like you also said in the beginning, you can't set aside money. So one of the tragedies I see are business owners that on their profit and loss statement, on their P&L, it's showing a profit. And then you, yeah. you know, they, they go to their CPA and they say, okay, I've got, or they go to their banker first. And they say, I got to, well, I'm sorry. So they, they have the, at the end of the year, they have their profit and loss. It's showing a profit. They go to their uh, CPA and it says, yeah, great news, Adam, you made a profit. Now you owe all this taxes and your business, no problem. They go to their banker and they say, well, I made this profit. So where's all my money? And the banker says, well, you ain't got any money. It's your bank account's empty. And so now they have to go back to the CPA and figure out some way to borrow money or create a payment plan. 
yeah. just to pay their taxes. And so that's two issues. Number one, there's a great book called Profit First. Um, that can help solve some of that. But on the tax side is they're not they're not properly tax planning along the, through the year. So with our yeah. clients, my own personal, I'll just speak from my own personal right now. I have what I call my tax savings account. So you talked about having trouble at the bank. I, when I went to my bank and said, I need seven separate bank accounts for my one business. They, um, they did look quite weirdly at me on that. Yeah, because said, they don't get it. Right. But I told the lady, I said, don't you get credit for setting up a bank account, you know, in your, in your little branch here? And she said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, here's seven. So th you're welcome. So, <laughs> you know, I, I have more money in my tax account right now. So after the end of the year, you know, after 2019, we'll figure out the taxes we owe. Yeah. We'll file that tax return. We'll send a check with what we owe. Because again, this is not about getting to zero. If you made some money, you're going to pay some. Right. Um, we're going to send that check in, and then and then we actually get kind of a bonus, not a refund. I'm I'm adamantly I despise refunds, but right. I get out of this account that I have saved all along. Um, we'll actually get a few grand back because we overestimated. And so again, that's just a great feeling. That's a very deep sleep at night feeling when you know that you can pay your tax bill uh, when it's due and that you're yeah. paying the least amount you, you're allowed to. Yeah, there's something I there's something we've been kind of dancing around here for about the past 10 minutes or so. Uh, and I think if we spend a couple minutes on it, I think it's really going to explain in a very visceral way why people may be somewhat hesitant in some cases to do tax planning and to look at quote unquote loopholes. Uh, you referenced uh, the, uh, the uh, discourse between Trump and Clinton and the, uh, I, th I, th I think what you're referring to was from the second of the three general election debates, if I remember correctly, because I watched- I think so. Yeah, I also remember many times during primary and general election debates, Trump saying that, yeah, I absolutely took advantage of every loophole in tax law to make it work to my benefit. And I paid as few taxes as I needed to. If you don't like the laws, you people were in government. Why didn't you change them? Bingo. He made, he made that argument again and again and again. Now let's, yep. now let's spend just two minutes on this whole thing of our president has not released his tax returns. I adamantly believe, and this has nothing to do with whether or not I voted for President Trump in 2016, whether I would vote for him in 2020, or what I think of him. I sure. adamantly believe that uh, no presidential candidate should have to release their tax returns, period, because I look at the history of it. It goes back to 1952. Uh, many of us, even those of us who weren't around back then, will remember uh, the vice presidential candidate uh, on the Republican side, a gentleman named Richard Nixon, who gave what was known as the checkers speech, where he was responding to allegations that he was running a slush fund. And in that speech, he announced that he would be revealing his tax returns to show that he was, in fact, despite these allegations, squeaky clean on everything that uh, they were, everything that they were uh, saying about yep. it. Then he called on the Democratic candidates uh, and uh, for president and vice president, who were Adlai Stevenson and John Sparkman, to release their tax returns as well. There are people who had recollections of watching the checkers speech while they were in the room with, uh, with Nixon's running mate for president, Dwight D. Eisenhower. And remember that Eisenhower, upon hearing that, 
got so angry that he took his pencil and managed to just about jab a hole with that pencil all the way through his notepad and then ran to the other room and slammed the door so hard it almost fell off its hinges. <laughs> Do you know why? Why? Because Eisenhower recognized the shitstorm that Nixon had just started by making that display of transparency. See, Eisenhower, after leading the expeditionary force that won the war in Europe, took advantage of his fame, as anybody has the right to, by doing speaking engagements, consulting honorariums. Um, he did some interesting thing with, things with his autobiography. And as part of that, he did tax planning strategies and utilized tax strategies for the rich. And while Eisenhower was also squeaky clean, squeaky clean as far as this, people could look at that and say, oh, he's one of those rich bastards who's, uh, who's not paying his taxes. He's a tax evader. He's using the law to jump through loopholes that other people don't get to use. Right. So Eisenhower saw it as, oh, great. Now, anybody who's been successful in business and commerce is going to want to avoid politics because they're going to be forced to answer questions uh, raised by people who don't have a clue. Like when I see people in, in forums um, uh, who uh, say, I want to see Trump's tax returns. I say, what do you know about taxes? Right. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, if he, what were would you to, do if, with them? Yeah. If he, if he were to release some Trump's tax return because he owns hundreds of corporations are probably about as tall as you and I standing up from the floor. Exactly. Uh, so, so some random uh, commenter on a, on a discussion thread knows enough about the tax code. They're going to be able to go through that and find any gotchas. Yep. See, and, and I bring this up only because I think, I, and I've used this example before in conversations like this, it makes people hesitant to do tax planning in some cases because they wonder what people would think. And I've you know, gotten advice, and I think this is to a, a degree smart advice, but you have to know how to handle it, is if your tax advisor, your CPA, what have you, are making recommendations that are making you feel a little bit uncomfortable, that means that there's a good chance that they're actually helping you. Be diligent, be smart, make sure that you're in compliance with the laws, but if it's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but they're showing you it's perfectly legal, that means that you're now moving into an area that society would rather you not, but the IRS says it's perfectly fine, so it's legal, do it. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's an oversimplification, and that's not tax advice. I'm just saying that's advice that was given to me by a layperson, and I tend to think that there's at least some credence to it. Yeah, and you know, it, it's very hard for me to grasp in my small mind that there are people that feel bad about paying less in taxes. Right. Um, you know, because my whole thing is I just believe you can do better with the money than the government can. And so um, – but I do see that. I, I read an email by a guy who's, you know, he was like, well, I paid 300 grand in taxes last year. And, you know, I'm thankful that I could help people and feed the poor. And I was like, holy crap. You know, if he actually <laughs> knew, you know, that's taken a very naive view of where his 300 grand is going. Yeah. You know, it probably went to some, you know, obscure mosquito in in the Arctic, their mating habits of, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like, but he, he, he just took it very, very uh, naively that his part, his 300 grand went to the right place. I find Adam that, 
A bigger thing that I run into are business owners whose CPAs are not um, actively looking for these strategies. And, you know, because every single strategy, uh, that's the question everybody, you know, is this going to increase my audit risk? And I'm like, you know, obviously no is my answer. But the, like you said, the, the ta these strategies are in the tax code. You know, the problem is when you take the business model of an average CPA, they, you know, if they have three, four, 500 clients, maybe 10 of them are going to be in manufacturing. So here's an example. And so there's some R&D research and development credits that are phenomenal for uh, manufacturing and have moved into software manufacturing, you know, which is the modern day and can save, I mean, these are tax credits, which are the gold standard, meaning they're not even the deduction, they're just a direct uh, 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 subtract of your tax bill you owe. And so the problem is this CPA's got 400 clients, only five or six, which may actually get, uh, uh, you know, this tax credit would apply to. Their business model is how do I get all of these taxes done properly, but as quickly as possible, and then the thing to keep in mind is, you know, so they're not sitting around with a cigar and a bourbon saying, how can I save, you know, my manufacturing clients some extra money? So that's where a tax strategist like myself, who looks at it from that angle, I don't have the 400 clients, I'm looking at it from the tax strategy angle. And that's where I usually have the giant impact with my clients. Right, precisely. And I think that's a really good philosophy. So uh, let's see. Let's see what else we have here. Uh, we have about five minutes left total, and I know I wanted to give you some uh, time at the end because you have a very special gift for us. But just real quickly, um, if you had somebody come to you today and uh, say to you, "Let's imagine I'm approaching you," and I say, "So, Dusty, uh, where do I get started with this tax planning thing? What's one step that I could take today to get started?" What would be the first thing you would advise that I do just to give people a jumping in point? Sure. It's a great, it's a great question. And outside of, you know, it, 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 I would check with, here's the first thing. So I would talk to my tax advisor, whoever your tax advisor is at the time, if they're a CPA, enrolled agent, attorney, who, accountant, whoever it is, and just ask them, say, you know, are we, am I really saving all the taxes I can? And a lot of the time, they must teach it in CPA school. I'm not a CPA. Um, I, I'll hear you make what you make, you pay what you pay. So if your CPA tells you that, you immediately know you need to start looking. Um, and then secondarily, I mean, the process we use is we have just a, a, a phone call, usually about a 30-minute phone call, and give some high-level information. And we can often tell uh, by just asking a few questions of the business owner if they're a prosper if they're a person that we could help with these tax strategies and so at, you've got to figure out if your cpa just because your cpa files your taxes doesn't mean you have a tax plan right yeah and that's and that's something we covered at the very beginning is there's a difference between um reactively making sure that you're complying versus proactively planning and using the laws to your advantage. I'm very fortunate that I have a CPA who is also a professional tax advisor. And even back in 2003, when I barely knew how to, you know, how to sign a check to pay somebody to form an LLC for me, and I knew how to fill, basically barely knew how to fill out a form to get a tax ID for the business, I did know 
to ask when my buddy recommended his buddy to do my business taxes for me to ask him questions about what he does as far as tax planning. So I've been yep. very fortunate with that. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, so to me, uh, your number one piece of advice is great. My number one piece of advice to anybody with my experience on it, of course, is when you're speaking with someone who you're thinking about having do your taxes, find out what they know about tax planning and find out their, uh, their attitudes, their philosophies, their approaches, and maybe they're the person you need to work with to do your taxes. Maybe you want them to do the reactive side of your taxes, but have somebody else join the team to do the proactive side. There's no one right answer to it, but make sure you're fully informed. Bingo. Yeah. So, uh, Dusty, you have something for us. Tell me about it. It uh, sounded pretty intriguing when we were in the green room earlier. Well, I'll, I have just, I'm wrapping up my tax book and it's called the taxpayer manifesto. Ooh. And, um, what I, what, what's interesting, you know, we were talking about freedom and liberty and things like that. I, I, my book designer was giving out several covers and, um, the cover I have has a, a fist with a handful of money. And so it's, yeah. it's you know, it's really, cause you know, I tell people, look, if, if you save, if we can save you $20,000 in tax cash, that goes back into the hip national bank, you know, that goes into your pocket. Yep. And if you're, if you're at a 10% profit margin, uh, overall in your business, you've got, you have to earn $200,000 in your business to profit that 20 grand, right? The same 20. And for most businesses, you have to really scale up to do an extra 200 grand. And so through a simple little tax plan and a little paperwork, if we can cut 20 grand out, then that's a lot easier than doing $200,000 more. And so I, what I'll um, if they're reading the show notes, yep. they'll see the specific link for yep. just your listeners. If they go there, give me their name and mailing address, I will send them a free copy of my book, uh, The Taxpayer Manifesto. And it's really free. You know, some people are, they say, well, it's free, but pay me shipping. This is no credit card. Just give me your name and mailing address wherever you want me to ship it, and we will mail it to you uh, as a thank you for listening to Adam's show. All right. So, that is awesome. And Dusty Rollins, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it has been an honor. It has been an education, and it's been a hell of a lot of fun. Absolutely, Adam. Thank <laughs> you, sir. I, uh, I can't wait to talk to you again and meet you soon. Absolutely. For everybody listening, I trust you've enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>